here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Tons to cover with you today. Much of it fascinating. Over 300 newspaper editorials condemning the president for calling the press the enemy of the people. But he didn't call the press the enemy of the people. He called the fake news the enemy of the people. And, of course, the self-serving leftists on these editorial boards, the overwhelming majority of which endorsed President Trump's opponent, Hillary Clinton, for president of the United States, continues this, this facade, this fabrication, that there's an attack on the free press in this country. There's not an attack on the free press in this country. The most powerful man in the country, the most powerful man in the government, hasn't lifted a finger to do anything against a free press or freedom of the press. What many in the press are doing is un-American, and they know it. They're liars by omission and commission. They're propagandists by omission and commission, and they know it. And they're, in many respects, an ideological cabal. Now, how do we know that? They just revealed themselves, over 300 of them, and there's more. Oh, but those are the editorial pages. They're not the news pages. I know, it's worse on the news pages, because they're even less transparent than the editorial pages. As I've been saying over and over again in the course of the last few months, this president hasn't sought legislation like John Adams did in his party, the Federalists, to curb the press, to criminalize differences of opinion. This president, unlike Lincoln, who, of whom I am an enormous admirer, and I understand what he did at the time, hasn't directed that any member of the media be thrown into prison without habeas corpus. This president, unlike Barack Obama, who was a disgrace, has not unleashed the FBI and our surveillance tools against the media, certainly not to the extent Obama did. As a matter of fact, Obama's use of federal law enforcement and eavesdropping on the media surpassed virtually every president before him combined. But there wasn't a cabal of editorial page articles and opinions accusing Obama of threatening America, was there? So you see, the problem is not an attack on freedom of the press or a free press. The problem is the people in the media, not all but too many, who are frauds, who are ideologues, on the news pages and on the editorial pages. And it is the American people who've taken notice. That's why multi-billionaires have had to sweep in and save them, like the New York Post, saved by the richest man on earth, Bezos. Like the New York Times, 17% of it is owned by a Mexican billionaire, a telecommunications giant. 
Bloomberg News, owned by a billionaire. And all the rest of them. All the rest of them. NBC, MSNBC, unless there's been a change of ownership. Comcast. CBS, part of a conglomeration. Nobody's taking down these companies. Nobody's putting them out of business. They put themselves out of business to the extent they lose ratings and they lose subscribers. Because their product sucks. That's why CNN's ratings continue to tank. That's why MSNBC will never catch Fox. That's why network news is at its lowest ebb in modern times. That's why people go to the Internet. Not even necessarily to get news, quote-unquote. But to get different opinions and to pull different information from all over the world. Complete joke. Complete joke. It's not about freedom of the press or a free press. And who is it? And we've talked about this, so I'm not going to spend all day. Who is it that tries to shut down conservative talk radio every five or ten years? The Democrats, the left, with the media support. Who is it, day in and day out, that attacks Fox News because there's one little cable channel? The biggest, I might add, but one little voice. It's not even a uniform voice that does not march in lockstep with all the rest of them. And they insist on it. They insist on groupthink. They insist on it. So often the news on these other networks is about other news people who don't toe the line. So freedom of the press as a constitutional matter is as safe as it's ever been. The press itself is as sick as it's ever been, is as unprofessional as it's ever been, is as ideologically driven as it's ever been, is filled with propagandists as it's ever been. The press is very sick. Freedom of the press is as strong as ever. Now, that is a distinction that the low IQ left, particularly hosts and so-called reporters, in the very media I'm talking about, will not understand. So I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. Now we have this guy, Brennan. Former CIA director now is a victim, you see. He's a victim. Donald Trump, they say, is acting like a dictator. Nobody's ever seen this before. Some of the generals and admirals, some of the Obama generals and admirals are standing up for Brennan. One of them said that, uh, why don't you revoke my uh, security clearance? Well, why don't you surrender it, pal? What's with the drama queen stuff? I even see uh, a, uh, a spattering or splattering of little pieces about how this raises a constitutional issue. Really? Brennett, the private citizen, he has a constitutional right, a statutory right, a regulatory right, some kind of vested right to retain a security clearance? No, 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 you don't understand, Mark. That's not it. The issue is, what basis can you revoke it? Well, the commander-in-chief can revoke it on any basis he chooses to revoke it. You don't have a constitutional right in all things. They don't have a constitutional right to have access to security information. 
It's on a need-to-know basis, and the president gets to decide who needs to know. Mr. Brennan has abused whatever authority, whatever tradition he was operating under before. He is a vile, poisonous mouthpiece of the left who makes himself available to media and who's paid by media. There's no constitutional issue. That's not to say some judge wouldn't rule that way. We have a lot of knucklehead judges out there. They're taking over environmental issues. They're taking over immigration issues, worse than I've ever seen. And over at Conservative Review, my buddy Daniel Horowitz is working on a piece related to this. But lawlessness is not a standard by which the President of the United States should comply, is it? Now, I addressed this Brennan matter on the radio last evening, but I also addressed it on Hannity last night. And we'll play some of this. Then we're going to move on to a number of other things, including the Manafort uh, jury. First day, no decision, but they asked some very interesting questions. You know, you try to read the tea leaves. I'm not making predictions, of course. But let's take a listen. This is Hannity last night. Cut one, go. We have never had a former communist who literally we now know spread Russian lies to disinform, propagandize the American people to impact a uh, presidential election either. Uh, These are unprecedented times. See if we can unravel this from the fabulously stupid Omarosa media. First of all, apparently the fact that Brennan voted for a Stalinist who was funded by the Soviets the Communist Party USA, was very attractive to Barack Obama, who made him CIA director. Think about that. So how did this man ever get a security clearance? I'm curious about this. Now, a couple of things. The president is looking at Brennan. He revokes his security clearance. Professor Dershowitz needs to know that's a privilege. That's not a right of security uh, uh, privilege. The fact of the matter is nobody's stopping Brennan from speaking. In fact, nobody could stop. He has a big mouth. He will never shut up. He'll go on TV and be the kook that he is. The idea that he has a right to access to information because he served in the Obama administration at the CIA is a preposterous argument. But of course, the ACLU will take up the case because they take up a lot of stupid cases. That's number one. Number two, who else is the president looking at? Comey and people who are keeping score. Comey is a Republican. How many times have the media told us Mueller's a Republican? Comey's a Republican. And even they questioned the president. Okay, you got a Republican. And by the way, for the media, most of these people the president are looking at are white. I know that's very important to you. Now, Comey was fired at the recommendation of Rosenstein. Comey was a leaker, and he absconded with government documents when he left. His security clearance should be pulled. McCabe is under criminal investigation. The number two from the FBI. Never before in history, media, his security clearance should be pulled. Peter Stroke was just fired. The guy in charge of counterintelligence investigations for misconduct. His security should be pulled. James Clapper committed perjury. He lied to the American people and Senator Wyden and that committee. Long time ago, his security clearance should have been pulled. Bruce Orr? Another one. Pulled. Yates, another one. Not because the president has a problem with Democrats or liberals. He has a problem with these people. And we haven't even gotten to the unmasking issue yet. So this is not a First Amendment issue. Meanwhile, meanwhile, when these people had security clearances, what the hell did they do with them? Well, let's take a look. 
The Russians interfered in our election, right? Well, who was president? Who was head of the CIA? Who was national security advisor? Who was the head of the FBI? All these people, with their security clearances, in positions of power, did nothing effective to stop the Russians from interfering in our election. They did nothing to stop China from stealing our technology. They did nothing to stop North Korea's nuclear program. And even worse, they awarded the Islamo... Uh, Hold it, Mark. The terrorist regime in Tehran <laughs> with $150 billion, right? With $150 billion and provided them with a pathway to nuclear weapons. Good job, boys and girls in the Obama administration, with your security clearances. The fact that Obama appointed these people and gave them security clearances is not the obligation of this president to let them retain their security clearances. There is no constitutional issue. That's just nonsense. And again, one of them's a Republican. So that makes this all okay. All right, briefly, one more cut, and then we'll move along. Cut two, go. Mark, I'd take away all their clearances. I'd take away all their clearances, too. But the fact of the matter is, we really need to focus in on the conduct of these individuals. Look at the phony media and the arguments they're making. This is like a dictatorship. This is, this is, a, we've never seen anything like this before. All these blabbermouths who know nothing. You're going to see Clapper on TV till you throw up on your loafers. You're going to see <laughs> Comey, he had his book thing. You're going to see Brennan all over the place, all these phony victims and so forth and so on. Meanwhile, when they were in office, when they had their security clearances, when they had power, they didn't stop the Russians, they didn't stop the Red Chinese, they didn't stop the North Koreans, they funded the Iranians, and in fact, they are responsible for the greatest scandal in American history by interfering with our election and trying to undermine the Trump campaign. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back live. Now, after the break, after the break, they throw around this word dictatorship, third world, president's enemies in the media, president's enemies in Congress, including the likes of Bob Corker and his ilk, as well as, of course, the Democrats, Mark Tourette's Warner, among others. The president, you see, is acting like a dictator by firing people or by withdrawing their security clearances? I will demonstrate to you very briefly, after the break, how Mr. Brennan, Mr. CIA Director, learned a lot, I guess, from his old Soviet buddies, Gus Hall and the, and the crowd, learned a lot about espionage, including spying on its Senate Intelligence Committee staff. Oh, you're going to want to hear this one. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. This is Mark Levin wishing you a happy Labor Day. Now back to the best of me. March 11, 2014, Diana Frankenfeinstein is the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, and she is furious at the CIA being run by Brennan. Go. Without prior notification or approval, CIA personnel had conducted a search. That was John Brennan's word of the committee computers at the off-site facility. This search involved not only a search of documents provided by the committee, by the CIA, but also a search of the standalone and walled-off committee network drive containing the committee's own internal work product and communications. Based on what Director Brennan has informed us, I have grave concerns 
that the CIA's search may well have violated the separation of powers principles embodied in the United States Constitution. Our staff involved in this matter have the appropriate clearances, handled this sensitive material according to established procedures and practice to protect classified information, and were provided access to the Panetta Review by the CIA itself. As a result, there is no legitimate reason to allege to the Justice Department that Senate staff may have committed a crime. I view the Acting Consul General's referral as a potential effort to intimidate this staff, and I am not taking it lightly. You got that, media? Mr. Brennan and his CIA was spying on Senate Intelligence Committee staff. At the time, Feinstein chairman of that committee was furious brennan repeatedly covered up repeatedly lied about it came up with excuses eventually had to spill the beans but you had the cia the cia director spying on senate intelligence committee staffers going into their records in their computers that were off site now there's fascism now there's dictatorship and they defend this man and his security clearance. Damn be all of them. I'll be back. This is the best of Mark Levin. Happy Labor Day. Mark Levin, America's passionately cerebral voice. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. The audio I played for you is actually a video. It's on the Internet. Any news department in America could have pulled it and played it any time during the last 24 hours. But they didn't, and they won't. Because they don't want you to know about the real John Brennan. This man ran an agency that spied on a Senate staff, the Senate Intelligence Committee staff. Mark Warner runs to the microphone as mentally challenged as he is, accuses the President of the United States of being Nixonian with an enemies list. He sat on that committee, and he knew full well what Brennan and the CIA had done to staffers. And yet look how he talks. All the media, have access to what I've played for you. I'm going to play it one more time. This is Dianne Feinstein going to the Senate floor March 11, 2014, just a few years ago, furious that the CIA broke into Senate Intelligence Committee computers to see what the staffers were working on. Brennan covered it up for a period of time. They even gave the phony argument that they wanted to make sure that the Senate staffers were properly handling sensitive and secure information, even though they all had their own clearances. And Brennan is on TV, hired by one of the media outlets, trashing the President of the United States day in and day out, making the most outrageous allegations. Brennan, whose fingerprints are all over the Russia dossier and the pushing it into law enforcement and into the media. 
as he operated in the shadows as CIA director. Brennan, who had closer ties to the Russians than anybody he accuses, he voted for their communist apparatchik, Gus Hall, a Stalinist, who received funds from the Soviets as the Communist Party USA received funds from the Soviets, and their purpose was to overthrow our government in the middle of the Cold War, and Brennan voted for him. One more time, March 11, 2014. This is the man the media are defending. Their surrogates are defending. And this admiral, who said today, McLaren or whatever his name is, Mr. President, yank my security clearance. Let me tell you something, pal. You may be a great patriot, but you're an ignoramus. That you are. Go ahead. Without prior notification or approval, CIA personnel had conducted a search, that was John Brennan's word, of the committee computers at the off-site facility. This search involved not only a search of documents provided by the committee, by the CIA, but also a search of the standalone and walled-off committee network drive containing the committee's own internal work product and communications. Based on what Director Brennan has informed us. Now let's stop. If this had been a Republican administration with a Republican CIA director who did that, you know damn well where the media would fall on this. We wouldn't be debating security clearances. We would be be debating why aren't these people prosecuted and sent to prison. Go ahead. That the CIA's search may well have violated the separation of powers principles embodied in the United States Constitution. Meaning the executive branch under Barack Obama spying on the legislative branch. This is a problem in the Obama administration from day one. Whether it's unleashing the FBI against the media, whether it's putting a spy in the Trump campaign, whether it is the dossier and Christopher Steele, whether it's Mr. Stroke and Ms. Page and McCabe and Comey, whether it's the phony FISA warrant and the unmasking of American citizens, including Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Go ahead. Our staff involved in this matter have the appropriate clearances, handled this sensitive material according to established procedures and practice to protect classified information and were provided access to the Panetta review by the CIA itself. As a result, there is no legitimate reason to allege to the Justice Department that Senate staff may have committed a crime. I view the acting Consul General's referral as a potential effort to intimidate this staff, and I am not taking it lightly. See, it is we who stand for civil liberties, not them, folks. It is we who stand for civil liberties. It is we who stand for the rule of law, and privacy, and the Constitution, not them. It is we who stand for freedom of the press, and freedom of speech, not them. It is we who stand against an all-powerful centralized government, not them. And this is what we're battling, constitutionalism versus progressivism. 
It's exactly what's going on. And progressivism reaches a point where it becomes openly tyrannical. And you're seeing it with your own two eyes right now. Now, I'm not going to play all the audio we have of these Democrats. Joaquin Castro, Democrat, Texas. Eric Swalwell, Democrat, California. And on and on and on. On and on and on. Defending Brennan. But I will play you Jim Shudo, who used to serve in the Obama administration and worked with CIA Director Brennan as a national security advisor to then-President Obama. And he's reporting on CNN today on this issue as if he's an objective journalist, which, of course, he's not. He asks if Putin is cheering Brennan losing his security clearance. Well, of course he is. Maybe Brennan was a source to him. Anyway, cut five. Go. Julia, you cover Russia well. Uh, you had the president in Helsinki a handful of weeks ago stand next to the Russian president and question the intelligence community's assessment. Uh, dismiss it, really. Uh, now you have a president firing a former leader of the intelligence community inciting the Russia investigation. Does Putin cheer this kind of thing? Stop, stop. Now this is, you see, this is what they call news. There's nothing newsworthy about a man who served in the opposite administration, in the opposite party, who embraced opposite policies, who worked with the individual who is being reported about, not asking questions, but making statements like this. For a correspondent from GQ magazine, GQ magazine has a correspondent, I'm afraid it does, Gentleman Quarterly. And of course, she's a leftist. Is Putin cheering about this? Go ahead. Of course he does. Uh, it's just more chaos, more kind of dismantling of the U.S. system, of the transatlantic alliance. All right, an idiot. That's why she's stuck at Gentleman Quarterly magazine. Next thing you know, she'll be writing for Nature or whatever. So I just wanted to put a fine point on this. Now, related to this... In some context, there's a writer by the name of J.M. Rieger, who used to write for the Huffington Post, which is obviously a left-wing crap website. Now he writes for the Washington Compost. You see, they have a farm team, and they move up to the pros, so-called, over there at the Washington Compost. Listen to this. On Fox News, Robert Mueller is often a bigger boogeyman than Vladimir Putin. Some Fox pundits... Now say special counsel Robert S. Mueller III represents a bigger threat to the United States than Russian President Vladimir Putin. When conservative radio host Mark Levin appeared on Fox News' Hannity last week, by the way, it takes him a week to catch up, to discuss the latest in the Russia investigation, he ended up baffling even some of his most conservative allies. Some nitwit woman who writes for uh, Red State. I never heard of her before. Not a conservative ally of mine. I don't even know who the hell she is. Anyway, that's his link. Quote, Robert Mueller is a greater threat to this republic and the Constitution than anything Vladimir Putin did during the campaign, Levin said. And I'm no fan of Vladimir Putin. Now, I've discussed this at length many times. Mueller is a threat to our constitutional system. Because he's being used wittingly to reverse the last election. And he's prepared to create a constitutional confrontation, which will distract the president and his administration. 
which will make our enemies actually laugh, as CNN would say, and they'll possibly get on the move, make a move, while the president is having to deal with a subpoena or something of that sort. This is a terrible violation, potentially, of separation of powers, among other things, the appointments clause. Vladimir Putin can't do anything to cause a problem with our separation of powers or undermine our Constitution or even our notion of republicanism. He's a national security threat. That's exactly the point I'm making over and over again. But this guy, J.M. Rigger, is such an idiot, such an ideologue. Well, he likes to play the typical liberal game. While bringing up a basket of old claims about the Mueller investigation, Levin did not say specifically what made Mueller a larger threat than Putin. I've, Mr. Producer, world, we have another propagandist, this clown. He purposely puts that sentence in there because he knows that I do. But he can't help himself. Still, the following night, Hannity guest host, Janine Pirro, made the same comparison. Is Mueller a greater threat than Putin to this country? Now notice, that's not what I said. Three sentences above. Quote, Robert Mueller is a greater threat to this republic and the Constitution than anything Vladimir Putin did during the campaign. Isn't that what I said? He quotes me. But he says... The same comparison was made by Judge Janine. No, it wasn't. It wasn't the same at all. Then he talks about the coup. No fewer than nine Fox hosts. Some, this guy is very busy sitting there. <laughs> Let's run the vid. Let me count. How, how many of them talk about trying to overthrow Trump? Well, what are they trying to do? The unleashing of a prosecutor, the constant, incessant talk about impeachment the day after the man's elected. What do you call that? What do you call that? You idiot. No fewer than nine Fox hosts and pundits have suggested as much since February 2017. That's the whole article. The Washington Post is trying to force Trump out of office. CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, all of a thousand so-called reporters like cockroaches all over the place, trying to reverse the election results. And then when you call them out, what are you? Well, they, this is the fringe here, the conservative fringe. Stupid people who don't want to get any smarter. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. This is Mark Levin wishing you a happy Labor Day. Now back to the best of me. You know, I've had uh, my share of mechanics calling me saying they found something wrong that needs replacing when I've taken my car in for an oil change. Those so-called surprise high repair bills are terrible, especially when you're not covered by a manufacturer's warranty and you're paying out of your own pocket to fix them. That's why I recommend extended vehicle protection from CarShield like we have on our 2010 Camaro. If your car has 5,000 to 150,000 miles, CarShield can save you from paying for high repair costs. Replacing your engine or even a simple sensor can cost thousands. Now, when you're protected by CarShield, you can have your favorite mechanic or dealership fix your car, and they're paid directly. It's that simple, and it's your choice. CarShield also provides 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. 
Get covered by the ultimate in extended vehicle protection. Get CarShield. Here's what you do. Do it right now. Call 800-CAR-6100 and mention code LEVIN. 800-CAR-6100, code LEVIN. Or visit carshield.com and use code LEVIN. That's carshield.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Either way, you save 10%. That's carshield.com or 800-CAR-6100, code LEVIN, save 10%. A deductible may apply. All right. Are you as sick as I am talking about John Brennan's security clearance? Like it affects the nation one way or another. I have to push back. It's the only reason I raise these things. And I'm hopeful the president will yank the security clearances from at least a half a dozen or a dozen more of these people. And so they'll, of course, run the news and tell us how great James Comey is because John Comey's a leaker, of course, and he stole uh, government documents on the way out the door. Oh, they're my private property. What an idiot. Or McCabe, who's under criminal investigation. Or Stroke, who was just fired. Or this fella, uh, Orr, Bruce Orr, who was uh, in the shadows, uh, working with his wife, opposition research against the president, and at the same time feeding information to Mr. Stroke over there at the FBI. Oh, what a public servant. Then we have an admiral today. He says, uh, writes a piece in the Washington Post. It's amazing how quickly they get these things written in, in these major newspapers, isn't it? Have you ever tried to write a piece and get it in a major newspaper? It's not so simple, particularly if you disagree with them. And he says that Mr. Trump is a disgrace. He's humiliated us. He's an embarrassment. And that Mr. Trump should pull his security clearance, too. These are these Obama admirals and generals. Why don't you just surrender your security clearance, pal? What do you need it for? You're done. You're retired. Just surrender it. But he won't. He wants to make a, uh, a spectacle. And so the left has succeeded in politicizing our intelligence agencies. They were involved in the last election. They've succeeded in politicizing the FBI. They were involved in the last election. And now they've succeeded in politicizing the military. Because this is what they do. They destroy institutions and traditions and customs. While claiming you're doing it. While claiming you're doing it. Now there's a lot more to get to. This subpoena issue uh, may be coming to a head. Uh, Should Mr. Mueller foolishly, stupidly, arrogantly issue a subpoena for the President of the United States to appear before a federal grand jury. Or some other form of physical appearance of a president. Uh, A president has never appeared in front of a grand jury. So this issue should be quite interesting. But more than interesting, this is exactly what I was talking about when the idiot over at the Washington Post couldn't comprehend. Well, he probably comprehended what I was talking about, but he didn't want to. It's better to paint somebody as a kook or to attack people as racists and so forth. It is amazing. We have the greatest scandal in in the history of this country from a political perspective. Greatest. And the vast majority of the media are either involved in it by fielding leaks by the perpetrators or ignoring it or trying to deflect on behalf of Obama, uh, his officials, and the Democrat Party. That's how much they hate Trump. Notice they didn't write 
editorials, three or four hundred newspapers. They didn't write editorials when Barack Obama sicked the FBI on their colleagues. No. Why would they do that? They didn't write editorials when talk news came under attack. No. That is talk radio. Or when Fox comes under attack. No. Or when we all come under attack and the Democrats try to nationalize the Internet. No, no, no. That's not a problem. You see, they're afraid of the president's words. Fake news. Enemy of the people. A little self-serving, don't you think? I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Well, the Democrats have nominated an individual in Florida they know who cannot win. That is, he cannot win if he comes fully out of the closet and exposes his socialism, his radicalism. A study was just done that indicates that this gentleman, Mr. Gillum, would raise corporate income taxes to 40%. 40%. I suspect he'd push for Income taxes, federal income taxes, because that's what radical progressives do to redistribute wealth. He believes in single-payer Medicare, which will destroy Medicare for those who already receive it and destroy all remaining private health care plans. Finally, putting the knife in the heart of private health care. He believes in sanctuary cities. You take the radical, the radical position that's out there from the left, and Mr. Gillum supports it. That is why today none of that is being debated. Instead, we have a lie. Now, it is a lie that Ron DeSantis, who served in the United States military in two theaters, who served in Congress now for three terms, who's been all over the media, that he said something that's racist. So here we have a man who won the Republican nomination for governor. And then apparently he comes out of the closet as a white supremacist. Now, I want you all to be aware of this because this is the game plan all the time now. The more radical, the more left the Democrat Party and its candidates are and become the more they try to run their campaigns, not on their radical ideology, but on character assassination. And this is something they picked up from the old Soviets. This is something they picked up from Marx and Engels themselves. This is what you do. It's an Alinsky tactic. He wrote all about it. You got to target your enemy, personalize it, and destroy their character. And they're Alinskyites. That's what Gillum is. The Democrat Party is stunned that this radical won the nomination with about a third of the vote. He wouldn't have won the nomination if there weren't so many candidates running. They had supported a liberal Democrat by the name of Graham, 
the daughter of Bob Graham, who is a well-known governor and senator of Florida, very, very popular. She tried to claim she was a moderate, even though she was a liberal. That said, Gillum was campaigning with Bernie Sanders. But now they don't want to run on socialism. They want to run on racism. Because they know running on socialism in Florida will result in a electoral landslide for Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is running as a conservative. He's unabashed. He's unequivocal. He's articulate. He's charismatic. He's a good-looking guy. And he walks the walk. So immediately, the next day, the next day, they pull the race card. Now, I want you to hear this interview. Perfectly innocent. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. Well, look, I mean, this is a, Florida elections are always competitive. And, um, you know, this is a guy who, although he's much too, too liberal for Florida, I think he's got huge problems with how he's governed Tallahassee. Uh, you know, he is an articulate spokesman for those far left views, and he's a charismatic candidate. And, you know, I watched those Democrat debates. None of that was, was my cup of tea. But, I mean, he performed better than the other people there. So so we've got to work hard to make sure that we continue Florida going in a good direction. Let's build off the success we've had on Governor Scott. The last thing we need to do is to monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases and bankrupting the state. That is To not monkey gonna- this up. Did you hear him call Gillum a monkey, Mr. Producer? I didn't hear that, did you? Did you hear him make any reference whatsoever to Mr. Gollum's rice? Did you hear that? No. To monkey this up, this is a phrase people use all the time. Don't throw a monkey wrench into the system. Don't monkey it up. In other words, don't screw things up. And so forth and so on. And so, of course, the Democrat Party jumps, as they must. They jump. And so now, now, going on two days, I guess... The issue is, what did he mean by monkey up? He called the other candidate and told and said he was monkeying up. No, no, that's not what happened. And by the way, it's up there on, or has been on the Drudge Report all day. So the left narrative is spread all around the media. All around the media. The left's narrative is out there being pushed. Not Gillum's. Radicalism, not what he would actually do to the citizens of Florida, to the small business owners, to the consumers, to the senior citizens. He would destroy that state. He'd turn it into another deep blue state. All the people who've left New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania and other states to get away from their regulations, to get away from their taxes, to get away from that. Mr. Gillum promises to bring to Florida. And so they take what is, here's the thing, nobody buys this. Nobody listening to this show buys it. White, black, Latino, it doesn't matter. Nobody buys this. Everybody knows that this is a Democrat tactic that is used time and time again. Mr. Gillum is even using it. That should tell you what a fraud he is and what a fraud these people are. And by the way, folks, if you Google and really dig into this, 
you'll see that Mr. Gillum is surrounded as mayor in Tallahassee with corruption. Surrounded. So this is how the left wing, uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, uh, Let's see, the left wing Tallahassee Democrat, well anyway, I can't find it right now. They're pushing this. Every so-called free press outlet is pushing it over and over and over again. And they pull this with conservatives all the time. Ronald Reagan was a racist. Donald Trump is a racist. Nixon with his southern uh, state policy, racist. They used to call John McCain a racist until they decided to love him. John McCain, racist. Mitt Romney was a racist. And why the Republican Party and Republican sites and Republican organizations and conservatives allow them to get away with this, I will never know. Since it's the Republican Party that has fought against slavery and segregation and Jim Crow and all the rest of it, that's the history of the Republican Party. Mr. Gillum has thrown in with the hard left. That's what he is. He's a leftist. And now the people of Florida have a wonderful choice. A wonderful choice. This is not a race between Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. This is a race between another radical progressive who wants to destroy what takes place in Florida. The vibrancy of that state. The economy of the state. The growth. The economic growth. The demographic growth of that state. Wants to destroy all that's been done, all that's been produced over decade after decade after decade. Because he has has a new idea, you see, called democratic socialism, which is the oldest idea. Which is the oldest idea. Call it feudalism, monarchalism, call it whatever you want. The centralization of government. Another state. He wants to create another failed state. You want to see these failed states? Look at California. Look at Illinois. Look at New Jersey. Look at New York. They're all over the place. Citizens trying to escape one state to get to another. That's why Gillum wants to run this race on allegations of racism. Going to monkey things up. Was that the phrase, Mr. Producer? Monkey up things. Wow. You know, when I do Levin TV, from time to time, I'll go on the, on, on the set and I have to read certain commercials and so forth. And I often joke. Just give me that stuff. I'll read it like a monkey. It doesn't even occur to me that that has a racist connotation. Now, of course, you can use it in a racist connotation. But this is what's very interesting about the left and their mind games and how diabolical they are. The reference to monkey is an absolute racist use of the word when it is applied to a race. It is disgusting and it is disgraceful. It is perfectly legitimate when it is applied to a situation like Ron DeSantis was mentioning. Monkey things up, meaning, you know, a monkey. Throws things around, runs around, does this, does that, does that. The Democrat Party in Florida, Mr. Gillum, 
their new nominee, who they really don't even want. Now, that's an interesting story about racism within the Democrat Party. The Democrat establishment didn't get behind Gillum, did it? And the media in our country want this to be about racism. They're obsessed with it. Not because they believe it. Not because they believe it. Because they cannot win elections unless they destroy the unity of the country. Unless they undermine all the progress that's been made certainly since the Civil War, certainly since the uh, Civil Rights Movement. They cannot succeed unless they divide us, unless they promote racism. That's why they attack Tiger Woods. That's why they attack anybody who doesn't fall in line. Ron DeSantis for governor in Florida. We can wish it would be a debate about the issues and the ideas and what each candidate stands for. But the Democrat Party in Florida, they are embarrassed by their nominee. He was not the establishment's choice. They are embarrassed by their nominee. They nominated a radical socialist. And now they got to deal with the consequences. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. This is Mark Levin wishing you a happy Labor Day. Now back to the best of me. All right. So Andrew Gillum, obviously working with the Democrat Party in Florida and now the National Democrat Party, of course, with the media. Uh, he's brought to speak on uh, Fox News on the Shep Smith show. Let's see how this went. Cut three, go. It was the monkey this up part. Sir, your response. Yeah, that, that, that part wasn't lost on me. Uh, it's very clear uh, that Mr. DeSantis is uh, taking a page directly from the campaign manual of Donald All right, let, Trump. Let's stop right here. This is, is, this is disgusting that this candidate, Gillum, knows damn well what was meant. He's an intelligent man. He's a politician. He's a mayor. And to try to attribute an innocent statement with no racial connotations into a, an evil statement with racial connotations is outrageous. Is absolutely outrageous. But he plays right along. And the people of Florida need to hear this. The people of Florida need to know this. Go ahead. Uh, but I think he's got another thing coming to him. If he thinks that in today's day and age, Florida voters are going to respond to that level of derision and division. They're sick of it. Do you believe that? you believe that? This is also what the left does. Mr. Gillum is very good at this. They state an absolute fabrication. They apply it to their opponent, and then they say people are sick of it. Right? Isn't that what you're hearing? I think people are sick of demagogues like Mr. Gillum. Not because he's African-American, because he's a left-wing radical kook. Much like his dear friend, Bernie Sanders. Go ahead. Offer in this race was is that a racist or a for where a fig- we want to go as a state. Was that racist or a figment of speech? Well, uh, well uh, uh, in the, uh, the handbook of Donald Trump, they no longer uh, 
uh, do uh, whistle calls. They're now using full bullhorns. So and this that- guy's just rambling along, spewing his hate. I want the people of Florida to know you couldn't have a clearer choice. This guy's a hate monger. I think I can still use that word, can I, Mr. Producer? He's a hate monger. He's also a liar because he knows damn well that's not what DeSantis said. So now, whistle calls as opposed to bullhorns. All you people in Florida who voted for Donald Trump. Or let me put it to you this way. All the folks in Florida who didn't vote for Gillum, apparently all of you are susceptible not just to whistle calls, but bullhorns. And I wonder if he meant by bullhorns the Old South. That you're all a bunch of white racists. This is how you're treated. This is why you despise the media. This is why you despise the left. DeSantis didn't say anything like this, and he didn't put down any of Mr. Gillum's supporters. He didn't say a word about Mr. Gillum's supporters. But all of you who voted for DeSantis, you must be white supremacists. You know, you're responding to bullhorns now, right? Isn't that what he's saying? Go ahead. What I've got to say about that is that uh, we've got to make sure that we stay focused, I think, on the issues that confront everyday people. But you're people. not focused on the issues. You're race baiting. Go ahead. I'm not going to get down in the gutter uh, with DeSantis and Trump. But you are in the gutter all by yourself. Well, not true. With your party, with the media. Mr. DeSantis isn't in the gutter. You are. Now you're trying to claw your way out. Go ahead. There's enough of that going on. Uh, I'm going to try and stay high. And try to talk about what the North Star and the future is for the state so of Florida. So he, he just finishes character assassinating DeSantis with the big lie. Then he says, I'm going to stay high. You know, we're only going to go high here. We're not going to be in the gutter. But they are in the gutter. They started this. I'll be right back. This is the best of Mark Levin. Happy Labor Day. Mark Levin, radio's principal patriot. Call in now at 877-381-3811. So don't monkey this up, quote, monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases, unquote. That is a racist statement now. And yet the people of Florida are not stupid. They're not going to buy the radicalism and the radical media One of the things that's actually quite sad is what the Democrat Party has done to itself. A guy like Gillum, he's one of their young leaders. It's really too bad that young people, millennials if you wish to call them that, looking to the Democrat Party, looking to Democrat leaders, have to listen to socialists who race bait. Imagine if their leaders, still liberal, would actually debate ideas and issues. As opposed to this stuff. Now, if DeSantis was a racist, why play around with the word monkey? Monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increase. Why not just say it? If you're a racist. Because he's not. The question I have, is Mr. Gillum a racist? For taking this issue and twisting it like this and using it in smearing his opponent. 
Does it cut both ways? Remember when they tried to do this to Mitt Romney? Phrases that he used, other people. This is supposed to be a battle of ideas. How does this help the people of Florida, the citizens of Florida? But this guy, Gillum, is a radical. And Floridians are not radicals. People go to Florida to escape the smothering taxes and regulations in parts of the other country, of the rest of the country. They have no state income tax. They have limits on property taxes. They have an, a medium sales tax. I believe it's 6%. It's really a very well-run state, as states go. But Gillum wants to turn Florida into California. He wants to turn Florida into New Jersey. He wants to turn Florida into New York. Or worse. Or worse. Now, we do have uh, some audio, if I can find it, of course, of, uh, of what he has said. And let's see here, Mr. Producer. Where, where is he with the, uh, with the let's get rid of ice? Can you help me? I had to wake up, Mr. Producer. Yeah, number five. Let's hear this. He's on CNN. Go. They're already coming for you based on your message. Ron DeSantis, the Republican nominee, had a statement last night about you, Andrew Gillum. He says you want to abolish ICE. You do, correct? Uh, we want to replace ICE uh, with the Department of Justice, uh, okay. an so- entity that has not been tarnished in the same way as, as ICE has. Oh, that's pretty funny. I would love to ask all these people who want to get rid of ICE, do you know what ICE does? So they want to get rid of ICE because the most radical, irresponsible elements in their coalition oppose ICE. What does ICE do? Fundamentally, what does ICE do? ICE is, I believe, the first or second largest federal law enforcement agency. The Border Patrol handles the border and areas near the border, and ICE goes into your communities to find MS-13, to find kidnapped people, to look for criminals, and to put them through the deportment process. Why would you want to get rid of ICE? And what is the Department of Justice? What is the Department of Justice going to do? What are they going to do? Send the antitrust lawyers? The civil division lawyer? What are they going to do? Send Robert Mueller on the board? Well, that actually might be a good idea. But what, what are they going to do? See, this is a very slippery, silly connivance. I have something to replace ICE. The Department of Justice, that'll replace ICE. Go ahead. He, so that, he, he says you want to abolish ICE. You say you want to replace it. That's basically the same thing. He says you want a billion-dollar tax increase. He says you want single-payer health care system as Florida. You do want Medicare for all, correct? Uh, I am a champion uh, for treating health care as a right and not a privilege. That's now, why are you a champion of anything? You're a politician. You've been a mayor. He's a champion? They're treating health care as a right, not a privilege. Well, as I've said before, ladies and gentlemen, if health care is a right, if health care is a right, then all of you veterans, you have a right to health care whenever you want it, wherever you want it. You have a right to whatever medicine that you need and whatever care you need. And you have a right to have it timely, immediately. 
What does that mean, it's a right and not a privilege? What it means is, he's a socialist. And what he also means is, health care is a right, but actual medical treatment? Nah, that's a whole other story. Is health care a right in Venezuela? Yes, it is. Health care was a right in the old Soviet Union. Health care is a right in Cuba. Really? And are people going there for treatment? No, they're not. Why? Because you can't get it. If you get it, it's lousy. Go ahead. Right. Uh, and expanding Medicaid uh, in the state of Florida for over 700,000 people who right now don't have access to. I'm telling you, you're going to have folks, you're going to have uh, income taxes in Florida. This guy's elected because you can't pay for any of this stuff any other way. So Florida will turn into every other state. I'm just telling you now, he's going to destroy Medicare. He's going to destroy Medicaid. He's going to destroy your tax system. He's going to destroy the quality of life because that's what socialists do. They don't create a shining city on the hill. They create a depressing, bleak environment. Go ahead. This state, about $6 billion in federal money that should be coming to Florida that right now is being distributed to other states. Uh, But I happen to Mm -hmm. believe that that's not left or right or center, uh, that that's basic and common for the for the everyday people. Yeah, it's not left, right. You see, uh, he's got the talking points. So he's a radical leftist. And DeSantis is a racist. But hey. He's for uniting the people of Florida, and uh, of course, he's not right, left, or center. He's just, you know what? Maybe he's not. He's radical, hard left. That's where he is. Go ahead. They need it, uh, and as governor, it's my job to deliver that. Oh, okay. Well, Florida, you have a clear-cut choice, man. I'm not kidding. Clear-cut choice. Now... What about Trump? Same interview, same network, CNN. Should Trump be impeached? They asked the mayor of Tallahassee. Cut six, go. It won't be your job if you are elected governor, but do you think the president should be impeached? Now stop right there. Isn't that a lovely question? The question has absolutely nothing to do about what he would do as governor. Why doesn't he ask him, do you favor a state income tax? Where are you going to come up with the money on Medicaid. Well, we get that from the federal government. It runs out. All the states are left holding the bag under Obamacare. Go ahead. Absolutely do. I think he's, he's already incriminated himself by interfering with the Department of Justice, firing Jim Comey, of whom I'm no fan of, uh, but basically obstructing justice. And ever since that time, he has uh, uh, only driven deeper uh, down a pretty dark hole. So there you go. Every imaginable kook, radical position you can think of. He embraces. And not only that, then he pretends it's not Republican, it's not Democrat. So Trump should be impeached. Medicare should be destroyed and replaced with single payer. Medicaid should be massively expanded to include all sorts of pay level, income level of people. There should be a 40% Corporate income tax rate. What's this guy running for? Is he running for uh, president of Cuba or what? The old Soviet Union's dead, I thought, except apparently in the minds and heart of the radical left in the Democrat Party. Go ahead. For himself before this country. Yeah. Now, who is uh, who's this fellow? This uh, who is who is Michael Starr Hopkins? 
Democratic strategist. I talked about this the other day. People keep showing Democratic strategist, Democratic operative. I've never heard of these people before. But apparently he served on Obama and Hillary campaigns. Michael Starr Hopkins. And he's so brilliant uh, that I believe this is MSNBC, not CNN. Uh, that he was brought on MSNBC. Cut four, go. Do you accept the fact that he may not have made, met this in a, in, a, in a racist way? No, absolutely not. He knew where he was when he said it, and he knew the audience he was talking to. And just to build upon uh, the previous... Why do leftists insist that non-racist things are racist? Have you thought about that? Why do they insist? Here's a headline. DeSantis under fire for saying Florida voters shouldn't monkey this up by electing Gillum. That's not what he said. He didn't say Florida voters shouldn't monkey this up by electing Gillum. That's not what he said. He said Florida voters shouldn't monkey this up by embracing socialism. Absolutely incredible. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy Labor Day. By the way, I wonder how many of the people in Florida who have Cuban ancestry, who fled or whose ancestors fled from Cuba and that utopian socialist state, I wonder what they think of what Mr. Gollum has to say. And many of those individuals are people of color, you know. In fact, the vast majority. I wonder about relatively new arrivals from Venezuela. I wonder what they think about Mr. Gillum and his brand of socialism. What do they think about it? Most of the people who flee these communist regimes and get to Florida, they don't leave Florida for, say, well, one of the blue states. They like Florida because it's free. It's a free state. The Democrats are trying to take it. They want to destroy it. They can take Florida. It becomes very, very difficult for Republicans to win national elections. They take Texas. It's impossible for Republicans to win any presidency. They probably heard me talking about the recent censorship we've seen of conservative voices on social media. It's not enough for them to have a platform where people can debate ideas and share opposing views. No, the liberals have one agenda, to shut down conservative speech. They can't stand President Trump, and they try to shut down anyone who says a good word about him, or frankly, people who want to talk about conservative ideas. Well, you know what we're all about on my shows, and that's giving people the truth, no matter the cost. That's why we created CRTV, Conservative Review TV. It's a completely separate platform where you can get uncensored content from hosts you trust. And if you're like us, you've seen the writing on the wall, and it's time to start building this network and community of conservatives. We need you to be part of this conservative community, and many of you are, but many of you aren't. And it's not going to keep growing if we don't have the support from listeners like you who become viewers. So we're going to give everyone access to CRTV for 30 days, absolutely free. For 30 days, absolutely free. Here's what you do. You need to call now. 
844-LEVIN-TV. That's 844-L-E-V-I-N-T-V. And we'll have you all set up in five minutes, less than five minutes. That's 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-L-E-V-I-N-T-V. All right. Take a few calls here. This is is a big matter to me because this is how they try to take out conservatives all the time. If you're a conservative and Republican, ipso facto, you're a racist. And I am sick to my stomach. I've had enough of it, and we must fight it. Enough of it. Let's go to Rod, Cleveland, Ohio, on XM Satellite. Go. How you doing, Mark? Hey, okay. Uh, first, I just want to apologize uh, to you, because I'll never be able to repay you for the education that you've given me no, in the last it's... 18 months. You don't ever have to apologize. I'm I'm thrilled you're a listener. I want to thank you. Hey man, you're 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 really you really got me going. I mean, with with my mind and everything that's going on. I, I just wanted to uh, say one thing about uh, uh, there's not going to be a blue wave. The American people, well, the the uh, the silent majority is so pissed off at what's going on out here. You know, being stifled by the media. You know, and not to try to sound trite because you just talked about it. But that's exactly what's going on. We have no voice. We can't, you know, that's the way I feel about it, you know. And I was just sitting here stewing, you know, night after night of what's going on. And, and uh, if you don't agree with the left, you're a racist. So they try to shut you down and they try to uh, insist that you embrace their radicalism. Tell me, is, uh, what, is, what is so, um, uh, you look at Cuba. You look at, uh, you look at Venezuela. These are countries in Latin America, right? Uh, Are those people starving to death? Yes. Are those people being denied basic liberties? Yes. Okay. Well, it's socialism, in my view, that's racist, not capitalism. Capitalism, let me give you an example, Rod. And I have this example or similar to it in Liberty and Tyranny. You go into a diner, right? You sit down, it's morning. You order a couple eggs, bacon, some hash browns, you get a cup of coffee, small orange juice, okay? I'm already hungry. When you do that, does it ever enter your mind if the farmer or the rancher who raised those chickens, who produced those eggs and sent them into market that wind up on your plate, what their race is? Has that ever entered your mind, Rod? Absolutely not. I don't okay. think that. No, you don't think that way. The people who made the forks and the knives and the spoons... Where the coffee comes from, it never even enters your mind. And that is the genius, the beauty of capitalism. It's about liberty. It's about market competition. It's about pricing. It's about profit. It's not about race. It's not about religion. It's not about sex or sexual preference. Socialism is the opposite. They want to know all about you. They want to know all about your ancestors. They want to know all about your background. Who to reward, who to punish. Who to redistribute to, who to redistribute from. They want to know all those things so they can control you and divide one against the other. Capitalists could give a damn. Socialists care about it. See my point, Rod? That's correct. They're projecting. They're constantly projecting their ideas onto us. And I, you know, and it's, and it's infuriating, you know, and, and, and all we can do is vote, you know. And, what do you, what do you do, my friend, if I may ask? I'm a driver. Yeah, I, you I sound you sound great. Road. What do you drive? Thank you. 
Uh, I, I pull oversized uh, uh, tractor trailer. I pull oversized loads. I'll tell you what, I don't know how you do that. It, sca- it would scare the living hell out of me to turn a corner with one of those things. <laughs> and I don't know how you park them, for God's sakes. Unbelievable. Seriously, when I watch these these big tractor trailers go by, I salute. Because that's nothing I could do. Look, there's certain things I know I can do and certain things I know I can't do. So you call and thank me for this show, which I, I really, really appreciate. And I want to thank you for making sure I eat at night. By moving stuff across the country. All right, brother, you take care of yourself. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. This is Mark Levin wishing you a happy Labor Day. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Well, ladies and gentlemen, also predictable. Amoroso, the dragging down of public discourse, the phony issues. My question for the media generally, are, are you happy with uh, yourselves? Are you happy with what you're doing to this society? The Amorosa media, the Stormy Daniels media. Here's the thing. None of these people on TV, on CNN or MSNBC or writing at the Washington Post or Washington Times and on and on and on, meet the press, none of them witnessed anything. These so-called reporters haven't witnessed anything. But they want to believe Amoroso. So they bring her on TV or they debate her words and then in some cases pretend they should be dismissed, but in other cases promote them. The president reacts, and of course, they call him a racist. Now, there are some people out there who are really quite remarkable. They don't think the president should react. They don't think the president should defend himself as a man, as a father, as a husband, and of course, as a public figure. They think he should just accept it all because it's unpresidential to defend yourself. Just because Amoroso, whose career you made for 15 years and brought into the White House and so forth, just because you did all those things, you shouldn't be out there denying that you used the N-word. She says you did. You must have. Or that you were eating a piece of paper. Or that you're mentally unfit to be president. This woman who you brought into your confidence... You're just supposed to sit there. Now, that's not normal human behavior. Isn't that why we detest politicians? Because you know when the door is closed, they are furious. But Trump keeps the door open. And he lets you know he's furious. And uses modern social media communications methods to tell the whole nation. And this woman was taping the president, taping other people at the White House which is unethical, which is sleazy. And somehow, the president, president should know better than to hire somebody like that. 
president should know better than this. The president should know better than that. president can expect some loyalty. He can expect people who use common sense. He can expect people who are going to be decent in what they do. The president didn't do anything. The book came out. A publisher wanted to make money, Simon & Schuster, from this book. This book has multiple lies in it, according to a number of people, many of whom don't even like the president, who said they never said these things, they never did these things. Amarosa is known to be unreliable, as best as I can put it, and yet here we are with the media. The media debating it, the media discussing it, she's on CBS This Morning, she's on the Today Show, she's on Meet the Press... And the media wonder why so many of us don't take them seriously. Now, I've talked about this before, but I think we've got to go back. We need to have a debate in this country about the media, not freedom of the press. This isn't about freedom of the press. You know, I was thinking about this. The Washington Post Corporation is owned by Jeff Bezos, who's worth, what, $80 billion? Is somebody threatening the Washington Post? The New York Times, I don't know if they're still owned by, uh, in part by the Mexican billionaire who's worth $45 billion, the telecommunications king or not, but Washington Post, uh, uh, excuse me, the uh, New York Times is not threatened. I guess Comcast still owns NBC and MSNBC. Maybe I'm a little dated in this, but nobody's threatening their existence. Nobody. Michael Bloomberg owns the Bloomberg News Outlet. These are not small operations. These are big operations, and they are owned by multiple billionaires, and they're not going anywhere. Anywhere. You got the... uh, the Newhouse family, billionaires. You've got the Cox family, billionaires. Uh, the Boston Globe. The billionaire Red Sox owner, John, uh, John Henry, bought it, as I recall, in 2013. Uh, U.S. News and World Report, owned by Zuckerman, a billionaire. Now, again, this could be dated. The Barbie family owns the Village Voice. Tribune Publishing, Patrick Soon-Shong. These are all multi, multi, multi millionaire, billionaire types. It was Carlos Slim Hula, as I recall, who owned a a big chunk of the uh, New York Times. Warren Buffett owns a whole bunch of, uh, or did, daily newspapers. You can Google this stuff yourself. I Googled it today. These are major, multinational, many cases, corporations, these newspapers, cable outlets, local stations. You've got to have a lot of money to own these companies. So nobody's threatening freedom of the press in this country. This isn't China. As Thomas Friedman always loved China, it's not China. It's not Russia. It's not Iran. It's not North Korea. Nobody has stopped any of these media outlets from reporting, from speaking, from providing their opinions, none whatsoever. Now, competition has hurt many of them. They've had to figure out how to deal with new technologies, how to deal with the Internet. And, of course, one of the things they support is the nationalization of the Internet. 
like many major corporations, they don't believe in capitalism and competition. They would just assume destroy them in order to protect themselves. There really is a feudalistic attitude when it comes to major media in this country. And so you have these so-called reporters and hosts that are on these various media outlets owned by these multi-billionaire and their corporate uh, entities who pretend to represent the people, who pretend to, to point out the liars from the non-liars, that they're the referees. But that's a lie. They're not the referees. This isn't about freedom of the press. It's about what the press is doing. Not its freedom, but its actions. And this is something that we must continue to discuss. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and spend all day on Amoroso. I'll leave that to the other talk show hosts. They're very good at it, I must confess. The press today is not about preserving the press. And the reason we have freedom of the press is is to ensure the survival of the republic against an overbearing government. But really today, the way these operatives, these these hosts and these so-called journalists conduct themselves, they're not interested in that. They're interested in what? Promoting their own reality. Promoting their own agenda. And by the way, Notice how synthetic it is. Notice how superficial it is. And notice how similar one is to the next. One to the next. Is that freedom of the press? Now, I've talked before about these pseudo-events that the media create or the media report on to the exclusion of others. These pseudo-events, like... Amorosa's book is a non-event. It's irrelevant. Now, her taping in secure areas of the White House, that's a serious event, which gets very little attention, 10% of all the discussion. This is a pseudo-event, as Daniel Borston would have put it. A non-event that has become a reality because of the way the media report it and promote it and then turn it into an anti-Trump meme. That it's Trump's fault that Amarosa is there. That it's Trump's fault that she wrote a book. That it's Trump's fault that we have to debate this. That it's Trump's fault now he's a racist because he called her a dog. It's Trump's fault. And he not only called her a dog, he calls lots of black people dogs. And it's Trump's fault, even though he calls white people dogs too. Still, he's a racist. And here we are. Now, this isn't news. This isn't even the purpose of a free press. This is individuals who have these these cherished positions, because there are not a lot of anchors on TV. There's not a lot of hosts, relatively speaking. Not a lot of news people on TV, relatively speaking. They use these cherished positions to claim that they are defending freedom of the press and advancing the cause of of free speech by creating phony issues and phony events and insisting that they're news. More on this when I return. Mark Lovin.
This is the best of Mark Levin. Happy Labor Day. This is why I often say the conservative intellectual movement, to a large extent, really is dead. There's a few here and there. But day in and day out, even smart conservatives, on TV and with microphones and with keyboards, live within the world that is created for them. I don't mean by the civil society. I mean it's created for them. They live by television news and radio news and newspaper news every day. And this is how they spend their lives. Regurgitating and then reacting. Now we all do some of that. We must. But you've got to take it to the next level and question this, as Borston calls, the pseudo-events in America. The Amorosa book is a pseudo-event. The fact that it was published, the publisher makes money, she makes money. There's all kinds of allegations in there. It's now driving the news for 48 hours, 72 hours, 96 hours. But it's not news. It's a created event. It's simply not newsworthy. In the last half century, as Borston says, a larger and larger proportion of our experience, of what we read and see and hear, consists of pseudo-events. And Trump has it right. Fake news. We expect more of them, and we're given more of them. They flood our consciousness. Their multiplication has gone on in the United States at a faster rate than elsewhere. Even the rate of increase is increasing every day. This is true of the world of education, of consumption, of personal relations. It is especially true of the world of public affairs. A full explanation of the origin and rise of pseudo-events would be nothing less than a history of modern America. It's so true. Then came that, uh, the news gap, historically speaking, became so narrow that in order to have additional news, quote-unquote, for each new edition or each new broadcast, it was necessary to plan in advance the stages by which any available news would be unveiled. And so it gets worse and worse because of the TV or radio clock, because of the multiplicity of, uh, of newspapers and so forth. Freedom of the press, we are told, is at stake. That was once an institution preserved to the interest of the community. Now it's often a euphemism for the prerogative of the reporters to produce their synthetic commodity. And yet, this is what they wrap themselves in, freedom of the press. Pseudo-events spawn other pseudo-events in geometric progression. We've talked about this. This is partly because every kind of pseudo-event being planned tends to become ritualized with a protocol and a rigidity all its own. As each type of pseudo-event acquires this rigidity, pressures arise to produce other derivative forms of pseudo-event which are more fluid, more tantalizing, more interestingly ambiguous. Thus is the press conference itself a pseudo-event. In other words, the presidential press conference is, is a pseudo-event. Jim Acosta's there as a drama queen, trying to catch the president in some statement, looking for a word here or there, to, and that creates the news. The news creates the news, the unreality. 
as the press conference itself, a pseudo-event, became formalized, there grew up the institutionalized leak. And as the leak becomes formalized, still other devices will appear. Now, of course, this gets a little bit more complicated, doesn't it? It depends who's leaking. It depends what their agenda is. The recipient of the leak, the so-called reporter, depends what their agenda is or what their focus is. And that becomes news. That's the news. Of course, the shrewd politician or the enterprising newsman knows this and knows how to take advantage of it. Seldom for outright deception, more often simply to make more news, to provide more information, quote unquote, or to improve communication, quote unquote. It's always for an altruistic reason, wittingly or unwittingly. Nowadays, the test of a Washington reporter is seldom his skill at precise, dramatic reporting, but more often his adeptness at dark intimidation. If he wishes to keep his news channels open, he must accumulate a vocabulary and develop a style to conceal his sources and obscure the relation of a supposed event or statement to the underlying facts of life, at the same time seeming to offer hard facts. Much of his stock and trade is his own and other people's speculation speculation about the reality of what he reports. He lives in a penumbra between fact and fantasy. He helps create that very obscurity without which the supposed illumination of his reports would be unnecessary. A deft administrator these days must have similar skills. He must master the technique of denying the truth without actually lying. Speculation becomes news. Supposition becomes news. Supposedly, it is illumination of the news. It's no such thing. It's a pseudo-event. More when I return. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin, radio's principal patriot. Call in now at 877-381-3811. So we have these pseudo-events, and they're self-perpetuating. One pile on top of another. There are real things going on in the world. Let me tell you a little story I, I discussed on Levin TV the other day. My wife and I were at a wedding in Chicago. And uh, we had an Uber driver bringing us back to Chicago O'Hare. We stayed at a wonderful old hotel called the Drake Hotel. Uh, we had attended a wonderful wedding. Not ours. We're already married. And the gentleman was an older African-American. And we just got to talking. His father had recently passed away. His father was 95. He was 68. I'm almost 61. He's driving an Uber. And I said, why do you drive an Uber? He said, I retired when I was 65. I worked at a ball bearing factory for, I think he said, 37 years. And I believe the town was Evanston, Illinois, but I could be wrong. Somewhere outside of uh, Chicago, about 30 miles. But he was born in Chicago. His father was born in Chicago. That's where he raised and that's where he was staying. And by the way, Chicago is a beautiful city. They're dangerous parts, I mean, deadly parts, but that's the same with most cities. But it, the center of the city, and I didn't get to see much of it, near the waterfront, absolutely beautiful. 
And uh, we didn't discuss politics. We discussed life. And we got quite friendly. We were in, stuck in traffic. It took us about an hour to travel, what, I don't know, 10 miles? And he showed me uh, on his iPhone, I believe it was, a video of him and his one-and-a-half-year-old grandson. And he's teaching his one-and-a-half-year-old grandson to read. It's beautiful. And he says to me, you know, there's a real world out here. And he says, and I drive this car, and I've been doing this now three years as an Uber driver. And I meet many, many different types of people. All races, religions. And he said, the truth is, most of us get along just great. We get along great. We want the same thing. We want to be happy. We want a good job. We want to put food on the table. We want to take a trip every now and then. We want to have a decent retirement. We don't hate each other. We're not at each other's throats. It's a big country. And the vast majority of us get along just fine. And we want to get along. Do you get the sense, ladies and gentlemen, when you watch television news or these 24-7 cable channels, that that's what they want? That they want us to get along? Do you get the sense that they know what's actually going on out there in the world? Do you know the vast majority of the American people don't give a damn about Amarosa or her book or what's in her book or what anybody has to say about her book? Or Stormy Daniels? Stormy Daniels, think about this. Somebody's daughter who goes into pornography. And she becomes a regular featured news focus. And her lawyer, same thing. Day after day, week after week, month after month. You never heard of her before. Most of us find what she does to be utterly grotesque, that she could well have been a victim and brought into that industry, and the media exploit her. The media are exploiting Amarosa, who obviously is not well, has certain emotional and other types of issues, isn't exactly the greatest truth teller, but the media exploit her. Why? Because they justify to themselves that by pushing Amarosa, pushing what she wrote, pushing Stormy Daniels, pushing whatever they need to push out there in the public square to the exclusion of so much else, that they will advance their ideological agenda. That's not the purpose of a free press. That's not the purpose of a free press. It can occur, obviously, under the First Amendment. You're free to write what you want, you know, unless you violate various defamation laws and so forth. But I'm not talking about that. I'm excluding that. You're fair to say whatever you want, write pretty much whatever you want, right? Freedom of the press has nothing to do with the freedom of an individual 
to smear somebody. It is a concept that when put into action has as its purpose to sustain and improve the civil society and in our case the republic. One of the reasons why CNN in particular, Stelter, Tapper and the rest are constantly attacking Fox is because Fox doesn't go along with all the rest. Some individuals on Fox do, and they're specifically called out by the other media and given praise. But because Fox doesn't buckle, you can agree with Fox personalities or not, that's not the point, but because Fox is not CNN, Fox is not MSNBC, Fox is not the New York Times, the Washington Post, and so forth, it's an outlier. It is unacceptable to the group think that pervades so-called newsrooms. The mentality, especially since Watergate, especially since Woodward and Bernstein and the Washington Post, is we get to decide what the news is. We here in the newsroom, we get to decide what's newsworthy. We will decide what's newsworthy. And anybody who disagrees with us is to be slammed in one form or another. You can see the Republicans and former Republican consultants, the John McCain or this one and that one, who are now at MSNBC, Nicole Wallace, you can see others, Steve Schmidt. They understand how it's played. You want to be praised. You want to make money through the media and other sources. You got to join the mob. And you know what? It's a lot more fun because you can claim to to support free press and to be on the side of truth and compassion while you're spreading pseudo-events and propaganda. So, let me continue here. At first it may seem strange, Borston wrote, that the rise of pseudo-events has coincided with the growth of the professional ethic which obliges newsmen to omit editorializing and personal judgments from their news accounts. But now it is in the making of pseudo-events that newsmen find ample scope for their individuality and creative imagination. And that sums it up, because that is what they claim to be the free press. They claim to be defending the free press, but that's not it at all. They're claiming their own individual and creative imaginations. That's what they're defending. In a democratic society like ours, and more especially in a highly literate, wealthy, competitive, and technologically advanced society, the people can be flooded by pseudo-events. For us, freedom of speech and of the press and of broadcasting includes freedom to create pseudo-events. And you see, folks, that's what they want the freedom to do, create pseudo-events. Not defending freedom of the press. Freedom of the press isn't any other danger in this country. Competing politicians, competing newsmen, and competing news media contest in this creation. They vie with one another in offering attractive, so-called informative accounts and images of the world. They are free to speculate on the facts, to bring new facts into being, to demand answers to their own contrived questions. Our free marketplace of ideas is a place where people are confronted by competing pseudo-events. 
and are allowed to judge among them. When we speak of informing the people, this is what we really mean. This is what we really mean. So the American citizen lives in a world where fantasy is more real than reality. That is, the world of the media. Where the image has more dignity than its original. Now, as I pointed out a couple of months ago, here are what Borston says are some of the characteristics of pseudo-events which make them overshadow spontaneous events. Pseudo-events are more dramatic. A television debate between candidates can be planned to be more suspenseful. For example, by reserving questions which are then popped suddenly. Then a casual encounter or consecutive formal speech is planned by each separately. So when Megyn Kelly, right out of the box, went after Donald Trump with the Rosie O'Donnell question, that was a pseudo-event. That was a, an event intended to create drama. And that's exactly what it did. It was discussed for weeks afterwards and had an incredible impact on future debates and on the Trump candidacy, painting him in a corner. Pseudo-events being planned for dissemination are easier to disseminate and to make vivid. Participants are selected for their newsworthy and dramatic interest. So you see a lot of these people who are on, for instance, CNN or MSNBC, they bring them in because they're provocative, because they're outrageous, because they are, they are radicals, because they will say things that will draw an audience, like a carnival barker or a car accident. Pseudo-events can be repeated at will, and thus their impression can be reinforced. You're going through that right now with Amarosa and her book and the claims that Trump's reaction as a result demonstrates that he's racist. So the whole thing is phony from beginning to end. And yet that's exactly where we are. And tell me, how does this help a republic? How does this help a culture? How does this help a society? And that's the point of a free press, you know. Pseudo-events being planned for intelligibility are more intelligible and hence more reassuring. Even if we cannot discuss intelligently the qualifications of the candidates or the complicated issues, we can at least judge the effectiveness of a television performance. How comforting to have some political matter we can grasp. Pseudo-events. Knowledge of pseudo-events, of what has been reported or what has been staged and how, becomes the test of being informed, supposedly. News magazines provide us regularly with quiz questions concerning not what has happened, but concerning names in the news. What has been reported in the news magazines, pseudo-events begin to provide that common discourse, so-called, which come of my old-fashioned friends have hoped to find in the great books. And pseudo-events spawn other pseudo-events in geometric progression. They dominate our consciousness simply because there are more of them, and ever more of them, and a never-ending list of them. Tempted like no generation before to believe that we can fabricate our experience. Listen to this. Tempted like no generation before us to believe we can fabricate our experience 
our news, our celebrities, our adventures, and our art forms. We finally believe we can make the very yardstick by which all these are to be measured. That we can make our very ideals. This is the climax of our extravagant expectations. It is expressed in a universal shift in our American way of speaking. From talk about ideals to talk about images. And the biggest chunk that's missing from this book is this is all the creation of, established by, given birth from, progressivism. The very same things Professor Daniel Borston, the light Professor Daniel Borston, writes about in his book, The Image, can be said about academia. Pseudo-history. Pseudo-education. Indoctrination. Unreality. On top of unreality. Because this is what progressivism does. Same thing can be said about how progressives approach governance, economics. Unreality. Pseudo-arguments about economics, about health care, about immigration. Arguments they know to be false. Arguments they know to be wrong, but it's of no consequence. They make them anyway, and they repeat them. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. It's the middle of the night. You're tossing, turning, covered in sweat. You could run the AC or a fan to try and keep cool, or you could get rid of your heat-trapping mattress and finally sleep as cool as the other side of the pillow like I do on a Casper mattress. All Casper mattresses use premium foams that relieve pressure and help align your body so you fall asleep feeling comfortable and wake up feeling refreshed. And thanks to the breathable material, you are guaranteed to sleep cool all summer long. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't even believe it holds a mattress. And that's so you can try it risk-free for 100 nights. If you don't love yours, they'll come pick it up and refund you everything. Sleep cool and comfortably every night. Get a Casper. Try yours for 100 nights with free shipping and returns. Go to Casper.com and use code MARK. For $50 towards the purchase of select mattresses. That's Casper.com, code Mark. Casper.com, terms and conditions apply. You'll notice that most of the reporters are based in Washington, D.C. or New York. And more, really, in Washington, D.C. than New York. New York is the financial capital of the United States. How much actual financial reporting goes on? From the national news. There are some business channels, but I mean on the on the broader channels. Very little. Very little. And uh, how much reporting is there about Washington and events going on in Washington? It's nonstop. It's endless. And there's two reasons for it. First is Washington now is so ubiquitous so controlling of our everyday lives, no matter who you are, where you are, or what you do, 
that it's that it's central. And secondly, these reporters wouldn't know how to report stories other than about Washington. Because that's where their sources are. That's where they are physically located. And everybody out there in, in the hitherlands, they want to wind up with a network, cable, network, satellite, whatever it is, based in Washington, D.C., where the money is, where the attention is, where the fame is. Does that sound like a real free press to you, geographically, ideologically? Does that sound like a real free press to you? Doesn't to me. All right, we'll be right back. 